Please be aware that this is a podcast about sex work. Therefore, it includes strong language, particularly language related to sex and the sex industry. There will also be mentions of stigma related to sex work, as well as state violence against sex workers. Sexual violence and trafficking may also be mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Babylon, the podcast that asks who's talking about sex workers and why. My name is Vanessa Ontiveros, and I'll be your host. Picking up where we left off in our last episode, social media is great. It's been an invaluable tool for sex workers to share their stories with the wide audience. But social media posts are meant to be short. Luckily, sex workers who are looking to tell longer stories about their work and experiences can turn to another accessible platform, podcasts. You know them, you hopefully love them because you're listening to one right now. It's become kind of a joke nowadays that everyone has a podcast, and there's a reason for that. It's pretty simple to start one. All you need is a microphone, an internet connection, and something to say. Today we'll be talking to three people who work or have worked in the sex industry about their own podcasts, starting with Seductive Storm. Storm has 19 years of experience as a professional companion. She brings an incredible wealth of knowledge to her show, Straight Talk with Storm, which discusses multiple aspects of sex work, from lingerie to an online presence, to safety to etiquette. These days, she is mostly retired from companion work. She runs two other businesses, one in web design and one in catering, while also working for a booking company. Storm's interest in podcasting began after she appeared on other people's shows as a guest. At that point, she had already had several videos available online with tips and tricks for people looking to get into escort work. So I had personally been interviewed by then on at least, I don't know, three podcasts, one like magazine article, and I was just like, um, a lot of it was geared more towards the high the higher end girls my price range bbw african-american and mature in age was definitely still considered high high end in in this scenario based off those things all of the podcast interviews i did were primarily set up to teach girls and it's the same thing i teach them when i mentor because that's my wheelhouse was set up specifically to helping the girls who wanted to know how to do high end or at least mid-high-end marketing, a certain niche, or if you will, of certain types of companionship. And there wasn't really anything that included everybody. So for me, because I was already doing the mentorship, I had my free free help videos, free how-to videos for girls for probably two years before I started the podcast. And so I was just like, well, this is just another way of me helping educate other girls in the community. Mainly it was because um, I got tired of our group, our, our level, if you will, of companionship, snubbing, turning our noses up. 
and not being very welcoming to those who were less fortunate than us. And I've had struggle times myself. I've lived in a hotel. I've been the high end, the mid end, the survival end. So I get the whole spectrum. And I just felt like, you know, everybody needs somewhere to go and get some good advice or to hear topics that they can relate to so they know that they matter too. But that wasn't her only reason for starting up her own show. And then another big part of it was to educate clients, particularly male clients, on like what it really is versus their like fantasy vision of what we all sit around doing or how we operate. And then that just trying to beat them over the head with forward thinking and trying to get the misogyny out of it because the misogyny is bad it's self-internalized by girls who have been brainwashed to believe it and cater to it and then it's just also really bad from guys who just feel like I'm paying you you're less than human you're just a thing to me so now I can do whatever I want because I paid you and I never allowed it during my years as a companion so I just wanted to teach everybody that that kind of shit is not going to be allowed like that has to stop Really, Storm has been preparing for this her whole life, practicing public speaking in her community as a child. Some people were just meant to speak. I think it actually probably goes way back to me being like 10 or 11, and I grew up in church, and there was this big function every year that combined all the churches in the area. And at the age of like six or seven, my grandmother was a school teacher, a career school teacher, and she made me do public speaking in front of a crowd of five or 600 people every year. And and I mean, memorize like five pages by memory to then get up and recite a speech. So I've just always been really good at talking and expressing myself to people. Um, I think being the companion just gave me a better insight and knowledge and a sort of empathy towards the situations that me and other companions go through and how to get the world to start to see it differently. Like the main thing, making the world understand that we're not substandard citizens and that sex work is actually work. Her podcast has undergone some changes since she first started uploading in early 2020. Like everything else in the world, the pandemic impacted the show. And of course, she's a busy businesswoman. Storm says she balances her time by occasionally taking the weekends off to focus on getting an episode out. I used to do a lot more podcast episodes than I do now, and I certainly used to interview a lot more people. Lately, I've been doing kind of just me doing my own commentary alone, whereas I had a regular schedule before where you got episode each Saturday. Now you just kind of get an episode whenever I feel like it, and I post it on my Twitter and let you know to be looking for it. I don't really have the set and tone schedule anymore for how many weeks there are in between episodes like I used to. I'm approaching 100 episodes. So I was like, I got enough episodes to hold everyone for a little while. So, but I have done two. I did two in the last 30 days, which is good for me because prior to that, it had probably been like a month or so sometimes before I got back to it. So yeah, that's, and like I said, it is getting harder too to have as much to talk about. Because a lot of the things that we talked about so frequently because of COVID slowing down the industry so much and changing how people 
do things in a lot of cities, not all, some cities are operating as usual, but a lot of them are not. And because I was interviewing girls from everywhere, some of them just really don't have anything to talk about, you know, or at least not anything, you know, that is not depressing <laughs> to talk about. I mean, a lot of them, and it's not even a laughing matter for my, a lot of them um, really went through it and took severe financial losses, lost their homes, uh, you know, had people close to them die from COVID. So it changed the ability to talk about, you know, how much guys should be paying, you know, who has the best lingerie, you know, how did my branding help me, whatever. These are things that in the current atmosphere, they're still important, but they're not nearly as important as everything else going on in the world around us. So I just kind of have been hoping to get to a point where I can figure out new topics that I haven't already covered because after a while, you know, there's only so much we can talk about. Storm has talked to many, many guests on her show. But one type of guest she has never been able to pin down is someone who works in street-based sex work. And this brings us to an important point, representation. While we are seeing what I would call an increase in representation of current and former sex workers telling their own stories, not everyone has been able to take part. More vulnerable sex workers like street-based sex workers or immigrant sex workers or trans sex workers are less represented than their peers. This is especially true in podcasting and writing, which do sometimes require a greater investment of time or resources. So while the rise in representation is a great step forward, Storm reminds us that there's still work to be done. I think even amongst us, we need a better understanding as internet class girls or even girls who go out to the fancy bars and stuff, um, getting guys that way. We need to sit down and have some type of conversation. And that's why I wanted to have a street walk on the show because I want to understand it better. But for reasons I understand, they are scared to talk or the person managing them is not letting them talk. And I get it. But I think all of us, including me, need to understand and form a new respect for that because that's the one part of sex work that most of us don't want to be compared to we've said it I've said it a million times myself everyone says it but by law because I've been convicted twice I can tell you that the law sees us all as the same and the rest of us need to start seeing us as the same too John Paul the Pope is a longtime porn director, producer, and performer, specializing in kink and BDSM content. A few years ago, he stopped working in the production studio owned by kink.com. When he started shooting closer to home for his own company, his work life and personal life came closer together. Suddenly, his wife got this real glimpse into his world. She knows what I do. She's always known what I did. There was never a secret, but she had this what she called a bubble to where I went to work, I tied them up, I untied them, I came home. Even though she knew all the other dirty stuff that I did on camera, that was her bubble. So she said, I don't know that I'll be able to stay in the building while you're doing it because there was office space and warehouse space, but there was still, you could still hear things. And she went from being in that bubble 
to expanding the bubble to suddenly she was sitting at my computer one day showing videos to new girls that like a new model that had come in and having conversations with her outside of work she was like you know did you know that fill in the blank porn star name has a sister that does blah 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 and she loves cooking and she has a child I was like of course I did she's like you know she's human right and she was like I guess I never thought about what they did outside of this and she never was like oh they're dirty whores or she never had any negative thoughts of, of, of any kind about them she knew that they were girls who came in and they were sex workers um but she just like most people never saw past that never thought past that and she was suddenly like she's become like this nurturing motherly kind of person to um a lot of the girls like she's like let me talk to you about getting your llc so watching her humanize sex workers in her head and watching this light go off to where she was like this is really intriguing and amazing of how awesome this part of this person is that no one else knows and i was like you know what i think i want the rest of the world to see i want to do what i can to try and show the rest of the world so that's what started my wife actually inspired me i don't think intentionally i don't think i've ever actually told her that until i just said this told the story but it was very much that seeing how uplifted she was and then suddenly how she was like i want to be part of i would like now i want to be in this industry and i'm proud to be in this industry not that she wasn't but she was more so so that was kind of what inspired me like i want the rest of the world to look at people in this industry and not think of them as whores or degenerates or old guys who just like going around taking advantage of young girls like it's not that at all it's just like any other industry it's just we happen to do sexual activity on camera. And so he started his podcast, Alone with the Pope, where he interviews various performers and producers involved in the adult film industry. He's been uploading episodes onto podcast platforms as well as YouTube since fall 2019. The first episode was something of a sleeper success. So the first one I ever did, there was a model friend of mine named Roxanne Ray. And I said, because of then this was the initial one. I was like, I want to do this video. And I set my camera up or my, not even my camera. I set my iPhone up on a tripod. I sat behind it one day before shoot and her and I had coffee and we just talked and we just shot this shit and got to know her on a lower or a deeper level than, you know, just the porn star. It was like 45 minutes. And I put it up on YouTube and that was it. Like I didn't care. And then I got like an email or something that made me remember that I had done it like a year or so later. I forget how long it was. And it had like 6,000 views or something. And I was like, holy shit. Like I put, I didn't even tell anyone. Like I just put it up there and it just started, you know, it started doing its thing and people really liked it. And all the comments were like, I love getting to know them. I love hearing this side of the story. So then I was like, shit, maybe I should start doing this again. John Paul is a professional. So when he decided to do a podcast, that meant he was going to do it right. He said it's become something of an expensive hobby, but also a passion project. So now I had two cell phones, two iPhones. So I was like, this is going to be great. Now I can, I can cut it together and be, you know, up the thing. And it went from that to, I had a boom mic that I started hanging in because the audio kind of sucked on the cameras or on the phones. The video did too. But I was like, I'll put the boom mic in and now I'll cut the two together with a nicer audio track. And then I was like, well, if I'm gonna do this, I should do it. Like I'm, this is, this is, I, I have enough, enough integrity that it won't allow me to just half-ass anything. So I was like, well, now 
I'm going to get nice microphones and the, the, the board. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to move out on set and start decorating and having a spot. And now that I've got this great sound, why am I still using this when I have these cameras at my disposal? So it's slowly built up to, like I said, from one recording on an iPhone to now I use two Sony A7S IIs, a GoPro, you know, this, this road mics and the road mixing board. And like, I, and that was all because I was like, it has to, I can't just settle. It has to be better. Like Storm, John Paul's podcast underwent changes after the pandemic. But in his case, recording remotely allowed him to speak to people he would not necessarily see in person and to bring in a wider variety of voices to the show. Um, a lot of it in the beginning came from just whoever I was shooting. So we would shoot, they would be in my studio and a lot of the podcasts start off with, Hey, we just finished up a shoot and I'm here with, you know, whoever. Um, but since the pandemic started, I've been kind of picking through people that I had interest in that I know I'm never going to shoot or like male talent that I may not ever work with. Like, uh, Ricky Johnson, I, I stumbled across him, like some model retweeted something, uh, that he had written. And I went and kind of went down the rabbit hole and like really dug into his profile. And was like, this guy seems really legit. He seems on top of it. And just the, the way he was kind of the, his, he was very verbal the way I was, where I unfortunately have been known to engage my mouth before my brain. So a lot of times things come out and I'm like, I probably could have been nicer about that or cooler about that or more elegant. And he very much was kind of, you know, cut and dry. This is how I feel. Uh, and you can kiss my ass if you don't agree with it. And it was standing up for models and the same thing, kind of humanizing them. So he was one example. Um, it's people that I admire or people that I think should have a voice, or at least I want to give them a place. And there's some people I've talked about recently that have been like, well, I don't know if that's the best choice. And I was like, but that's the thing is it's my choice. It's not anybody else's. So, and if I catch slack for it, I catch slack for it. John Paul said that a lot of his audience are people who are fans of the performers he has on. Porn performers and sex workers in general exist in this weird space where incredibly intimate moments of their lives are available to view or experience. Meanwhile, actual parts of their personality or lives can be walled off. And there are a lot of really valid privacy or safety concerns that influence how much a person chooses to reveal about their actual life. John Paul's public persona is one of a big, tough man who is always in charge. But his podcast platform gives him and other sex workers space to talk about their actual experiences. As we should all know by now, no one is identical to their online or professional persona. I think after doing this, because I'm about to start my 18th year in this industry, so I'm very much, you know, I've been here, I've been around, I, my name's known enough, especially considering like this niche is like the content that I make. And I feel like having someone that my my presence, my what people know of me online, of being this big scary guy who ties people up and tortures them and does these quote unquote horrible things to people, um, to have me step up and say that it's not that way and show that there's this really awesome side and there's human, that these people are just as human as the person next door and they're all sisters or brothers or some moms and daughters. Like they're just, they're people who, choose to do something else. So yeah, I definitely felt like I had a, a I had a position to do it. Like I, I felt that someone needed to, maybe I'm not the right person, but I'm, I'm going to do it until somebody at least comes along that does it better than me, or at least helps me get there. So that's why, yeah, that's, I feel like it was, I had a, a, 
a podium to stand on, if you will. So I felt like why not take advantage of it and try and use it to help people in my industry. Our final podcaster is a very funny woman named Caitlin Bailey. Caitlin is a former sex worker who went into stand-up comedy and, soon enough, podcasting. Currently, she hosts the Oldest Profession podcast, which is part of Old Pro Productions. Their mission is to, quote, tell better sex worker stories. The first season started out with just Caitlin and her friend, fellow comedian Wendy Starling, as co-host back in 2017. Well, like a lot of uh, projects, I, um, I came to this one from a place of uh, ego and spite. Um, I was told that nobody was interested in sex worker stories. Um, I was pitching a television show out in LA uh, and a couple of, you know, not to be ageist, but like, you know, boomer dudes uh, were super confident that they knew exactly how to tell sex work stories. And it was by making me sexier. And I couldn't afford uh, to enact my vision um, of a show, but I couldn't afford to enact my uh, vision of a podcast. So I started uh, the Oldest Profession podcast with a a fellow comedian, sex worker, friend of mine, Wendy Starling. Um, And we did the the whole first season together as like a comedy history project and frank discussion between two sex worker comics that have nothing to prove to nobody. The show has changed a lot since then. And that's partly because the world of sex work changed in a significant way in 2018. In episode three, we talked about FOSTA-SESTA, the legislation that targeted online sex workers advertising or even just existing online. It was and still is a big deal in the sex workers' rights movement. And it changed the trajectory of the show. Yeah, so I so I started the Oldest Profession podcast in 2017, and I did the first season with Wendy Starling, and then... After the after Sesta Fosta passed in April of 2018, you can actually kind of hear me get radicalized on the podcast. And I feel like from a historical perspective, I sort of I see this this Trump train coming and understand what that means for sex workers, for immigrants, for for women and, you know, non-binary folks. And I became a nightmare to work with, which makes sense. So Wendy left the show because I was too amped up and have no chill and we went into a more political direction. So I kind of leaned in to the threads um, and connections that I had with activists that I had developed as a, as a comic and a performer. You know, I'd gone to sex worker rights conventions as a stand-up comic. And now I was entering those spaces as, a, as an aspiring change maker. And so, you know, I had a couple of really early mentors and advocates, you know, Kyan Dora Show was instrumental, Carol Lee, uh, AKA the Scarlet Harlot was, amazing. Um, The entire Woodhall Sexual Freedom Foundation, Desiree Alliance. um, It was great. And I I joined um, Decriminalized Sex Work, which was the, uh, which was a national advocacy organization as their director of communications and took a break from the podcast and sort of like let the podcast go dormant for a minute. Um, And I spent two years running around the country talking to politicians and thought leaders in the like public health sector and like just a world away from like drunk people at comedy clubs, which had been my my target audience for many, many years up until that point. And, and that was an incredible learning opportunity. And I'm so glad I did it. And also like policy minutia is like not my life's work. And I could just feel it with my whole body because I hated it. And meetings that happen at 8 a.m. that are just people complaining about things they don't understand are it's not for me. 
So I left DSW and re, uh, recommitted myself essentially to storytelling as the, the kind of, of change, um, the kind of change making that I wanted to be involved in, um, artistic storytelling. Nowadays, there is a whole team working at Old Pro Productions. This includes researcher and historian Dr. Charlene Fletcher. Since season three, the team has mapped out what stories they want to cover. Then Dr. Fletcher will provide Caitlin with some research resources and a script comes together. For how informative the podcast is, it never feels like a lecture. The storytelling vibe is very clear, and it's the result of Caitlin's on-stage experience. Oh, this is a trick that the substitute teachers and, and cool professors have known the whole time. I just cuss more than is socially appropriate for a professor role. It's super, I mean, I am also a, and like, not to sound like a dick, but I, see what I mean? I am a professionally trained comedian, which is like, I spent a decade getting really good at getting audiences of complete strangers to have a visceral response to words that came out of my mouth as a group. That's a skill. And that's, and it's a craft, you know, in the same way that being a historian or being a journalist or being, um, you know, th these are crafts. And so that is, that is the skill that I bring to these stories. And I think it, it adds something, but I, I really believe that policy and history and social change should be accessible. And I think that humor is one of those like magic sauce ingredients that helps make um, a lot of otherwise difficult conversations possible. And humor is a very effective salve uh, on stigma and shame. Target audience is something that every storyteller has to keep in mind. Some people want their content to appeal to everyone. Some people want to keep things more exclusive. Caitlin has a very specific audience in mind other white women. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of there are a lot of podcasts out there and there are a lot of spaces out there that are sex workers talking to other sex workers and I definitely think that that is where the podcast started. You know, I feel like we were we were trying to reach out and target other sex workers and I am so appreciative and I love every single sex worker listener that we have. That's who this this podcast is for, right? It's sort of like creating a better world for sex workers. But as a political strategist, I know that the only way we're gonna get there is by convincing suburban soccer moms that these issues matter. And I think that we can do that in a couple of different ways. And I think that the, the Oldest Profession podcast, both um, with the institutional support that we have from um, you know, our historian and the universities that we're able to partner with, and like the fact that we can do this in tweed jackets, it like positions us well to be folks that are taking these arguments to places with a lot of political power. You know, we got to get ahead of the NIMBY folks or we're going to end up with a dystopian nightmare of like overregulated brothels that help nobody except brothel owners. With that audience in mind, Caitlin and her team do strive to include a diverse range of sex worker stories, focusing on people who have been excluded from the narrative due to race, class, gender identity, or any other reason. I think the podcast is really about other people's stories. And that's a direction that we've really leaned hard into with season three, where we provide this annotated bibliography. You know, Dr. Fletcher hosts the panel. We make sure that we're bringing other people on to engage in these conversations. And we really want to make sure that we're telling diverse stories, right? Representing people of all genders because people of all genders do sex work, people um, of all races because people of all races do sex work. I think that we have an American bias 
both my professor and I are, are from the US. And so it's like historical context that we understand. And also from a selfish perspective, it's like where I'm doing all my political advocacy. So it like feels expedient to do that, but we wanna make sure that we are not telling only a white middle-class sex work experience. Old Pro Productions recently launched Old Pro News, where community manager Irene Marrow reads sex work-related news stories. Those stories are also sent out in a newsletter. And of course, there's the Old Pros Project, which helped fund art advocacy in five cities this year. The project took place on January 25th, which commemorates the anniversary of one of the first sex workers' rights protests in American history. That project and all of the work of the Old Pros team and the guests we've had on so far get at the heart of why storytelling matters so much. Caitlin summed it up pretty perfectly. So we'll end with that. If you can change the story, you can change everything, right? We, we get married on the power of stories. We go to war on the power of stories. We consent to governments and fiat currency and all kinds of banana pants systems all based on the power of stories. Like the, the major conceit of every imaginable system, whether you're talking about the public sphere, the private sphere, or, or someplace in between is done on the grounds of shared story changing the story and creating an atmosphere where every individual in a society feels like their voice and their perspective and their experience matters and that they are the author of their own story, that's a free society. And everything else is hogwash. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Babylon Podcast. Babylon is an independent podcast that I wrote, edited, and produced as my final honors project at the University of Arizona. If you want to know more, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BabylonPod. Special thanks to Roxandra Guidi for advising this project. The music is Iron by Croander. A very special thanks to Seductive Storm, John Paul the Pope, and Caitlin Bailey for agreeing to appear on this episode. You can find Storm on Twitter at SupergirlStorm. You can find Straight Talk with Storm on Twitter and Instagram at SSPodcast1 or online at StraightTalkWithStorm.com. You can find John Paul on Twitter at John Paul the Pope, on Instagram at Official underscore the Pope, and online at JohnPaulThePope.com. You can find Alone with the Pope on Instagram at Alone with the Pope. You can find Caitlin Bailey on Twitter at Caitlin Bailey or online at CaitlinBailey.com. That's Caitlin spelled K-A-Y-T-L-I-N. You can find Old Pro Productions on Twitter and Instagram at Old Pro Inc. That's Inc. like Incorporated, so I-N-C. You can also find Old Pro Productions and all of its projects online at OldProInc.com. Once again, thank you for listening.